did you ever experience this phenomenon where when you were a grade school student and second grade, you see your teacher. I still remember my second grade teacher. Her name is Mrs. Cleary. Uh, and then I would go to the supermarket. And do you ever have that experience when you're in the supermarket, you see your school teacher shopping? Did anyone ever have that experience? Because it's the strangest thing. And I hear it from the teacher's perspective. They bump into their students at Costco. And then their children are like, Mrs. Mrs. Smith, what are you doing outside of school? <laughs> and so for children, it's so cute because for me, I always picture Mrs. Cleary living at school. I never pictured her shopping for milk or eggs. And it's, it's, it's amazing that the worldview of a child can, you know, be so innocent, pure, and, and obviously clearly off. I don't think, we have a lot of teachers in our church, I don't think they want to live in school. They, do, they don't live in school. They live like us. Well, I'm sharing that because that phenomenon could happen in church as well. We have this perception, as innocent as it may be, that church is a particular way. You know, that's not church. Uh, church is the building. Church, you know, church is a place where they take care of me. And so what we're doing here is realizing as innocent as that worldview might have been, when Jesus calls us into his family and we are redeemed, that God is doing something bigger than just letting us go to a church building. And so we want to review this past few weeks. The first week we talked about this idea that the idea of joining a church is not merely an administrative decision we made. That being part of a church is a miracle. Because how does a sinner, and that's who we are, you and I are sinners, become invited into the party, body of Christ? Only by a miracle, the mercy and the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so membership into the church, this local church, is a symbol of our connection to the invisible body of Christ all around the world. So it's a miracle. Last week we talked about that God assigns gifts to different people. God is the one that put us in our place, that gives us what we need. In his wisdom, God's the one that knits this body of Christ together. And so four verses in this text alone. Here's first, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. God has put us here, given us his gifts. Verse 18, but as it is, God, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Here it is again. But God has so composed the body, 1 Corinthians 12, 24. Are you getting it? That the church is not something we make, but ultimately God assigns and brings us. And there's one more, 1 Corinthians 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Uh, just as a side example, when you nominate elders and deacons, you're not saying you deem them worthy. You know what that process is when we find elders and deacons? We're discerning God's calling to people. Are you calling him to be a deacon, Lord? And in the community, as we vote, we're acknowledging God's will for this person to be elected. So it's not a popularity contest. It's not because you are giving that privilege and power, but we are sensing and discerning as a congregation, who are the pastors? Who are the elders? Who are the deacons that God has called to lead us? And so God is the one that assigns these gifts. 
And so it's incompatible. It's almost um, impossible for us to believe that church is merely a place we go to or church is a, merely a place that for this season, you know, this is a nice community then, and that's all it is to me. It's impossible. So maybe this is a simple way we could do it. Can we read it together? If you are redeemed, you do not go to church. You are the church. Can you just turn to the person next to you and say, you are the church? And this is an important distinguisher. You don't go to church. So if the building, God forbid, burns down earth and shatters it, we didn't lose the church. You and I, in God, under God, Christ's lordship, we are the church. And so we have to say this over and over again because we may know it in our head, but the way we function is as if we go to church, church provides a service, and then we, we go on. And so in God's wisdom, the primary instrument he uses to further his kingdom and his mission is through the church. So the missionaries uh, all study this philosophy and this theology. The church does not have a mission. Like we don't have a mission program. In fact, it's the other way around. The mission of God has a church. Does that make sense? What that means is this. The church is not saying, God, you know, we're going to do some good things for you. You've been kind. We'll do missions. No. It's the opposite. Before you and I were even born, God has been on this relentless pursuit to bring sinners back to him. And the key instrument God's been using is the church. And so this is why you and I are not just observers. In baseball, baseball players get yelled at all the time when they're watching the game instead of playing the game. So they're so enamored with the game, they forget to cover the base. And so the coaches say things like, hey, don't be an observer, be a participant. <laughs> and so sometimes we like to just observe. I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want to lose my time. I'm already busy. And so we like to observe God's work and what Jesus is calling us to be as the church is, be the church. Be the church. And this is what Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians because them, they're like, oh, we are being the church. Some of us have incredible gifts. My gifts are more important than her gifts. And they're fighting. They're divided. And Paul is trying to bring it into a framework that says, listen, guys, we need unity and no division because God wants us to do work. And so um, in our own denomination, well, I mean, the two questions I want to answer today. First is, is membership to a local church essential or can I just attend? Let's, let's probe that question. Second question today is, churches today are so messy. And we can say amen. Let's say amen to that. They, we are because we're messy people. How can the church get along with all the diversity, imperfection, and flaws of its members? Because, uh, do you know what the trend is? Gen Y, forget about it. Church is one of the last things on their mind. Why? And the big reason is because they've seen their parents. They've seen their uncles. They've seen their grandparents. And they're like, I don't want anything to do with it. I want a little bit of God, but I don't want to join a church. So, those two questions... Is membership to a local church essential? 
And second question is, with churches being so messy today, how do we move forward? And 1 Corinthians will answer that. So let's go into the first one. Is membership in a local church essential or can I just attend? I'd love to give you guys 10 minutes to discuss amongst yourselves. And you could debate both sides. And you could say, wait a minute, I just need Jesus in my heart and I'm good. Or should we just abandon it? And so let's go back as we revisit this. Um, our denomination actually has three books in the Constitution. The number one book in the Constitution is the Bible. <laughs> okay, thank God. Second book is called the Book of Confessions, like Westminster Catechism, Helvetic, Second Helvetic, Heidelberg, and all these confessions that we built throughout the history of what we believe. The third book is called the Book of Order. How does our denomination church govern itself? And in the Book of Order, it actually talks about the meaning of membership. And it's a small print, so I'll read it for us. In G1.0301, in Jesus Christ, God calls people to faith and to membership in the church, the body of Christ. Hey, we just talked about this. Baptism is the visible sign of that call and claim on a human life and of entrance into the membership of the church. So the way you join a church is through baptism, which, which is the visible display that Christ has captured this person. Even the baptism of children witnesses to the truth that God's love claims people before they are able to respond in faith. That's a very reformed view that we're so wicked, if it wasn't for God's inter intervening, we won't be able to even choose God. Thus, the triune God incarnate in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives the church not only its mission, but also its understanding of membership. This is powerful. This is theology. This is 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, who am I? Well, I just saw this nice building, and you guys have nice music, and you guys are friendly. And that's good. That's, that, there's nothing wrong with that. We want to graduate, though, to a deeper understanding of what church is, which is, wow, through baptism, God claims me and invites me to serve with him for his mission. And so this G1.0304 Right after that, another section. The membership in the church of Jesus Christ is, can we read this part together? A joy and a privilege. <sighs> and meetings are not. I'll be honest. Meetings, you know, they, they don't give me joy. <laughs> but meetings are the expression and the activity of the members to function orderly. Instead of having somebody strong say, hey, we want to do this this way. We have orderly meetings. It is also a commitment, a promise, a devotion, a covenanting together, a commitment to participate in Christ's mission. That part gets me the most. How do we do mission? Well, Bill Hockerson over here, he seems really friendly. Let's send him out to do mission and we'll support him. Well, yeah. <laughs> How about this? We partner together. To the very end of our days, until the Lord calls us home, Christ, may you fulfill your mission through us. Not a program, but through the way we live. Not, not just to see token, symbol activities, but God, may this be an active congregation that sees people drawn to the Lord and live out. 
So a faithful member bears witness to God's love and grace and promises to be involved responsibly in the ministry of Christ's church. So if you're a member who comes maybe Easter, Christmas, you know, there's, we're not going to condemn you for that or judge you for that. That's not our job. But we will challenge you and say, if this is membership and we take Jesus seriously, if you're not here, I can't be challenged by you. If you're not here, we can't grow together. If you're not here, then we can't exhibit the work of God together. Does that mean you have to be here every Sunday for every year? No. <laughs> what it means is faithfulness, just availability of constant presence that we are committed to that. So this is what the book of order says, and the book of order is taking it from biblical truths, which I love. So, so ministry of these members, uh, it gives you some bullet points as an example. So how does that look? The book of order says, we proclaim the good news in word and deed. We lift one another up in prayer. We study scriptures and issues of Christian life. We support the ministry of the church through giving of money, time, talents. We demonstrate a new quality of life within the church. We participate in the governing responsibilities. In other words, we're doing life as a church. And so there's a saying in the world back in the 2000s, 80-20 rule. Did you ever hear this? That 80% of the work is done by 20% of the church people. Now it's, I think, 90-10. 90% of the work is done by 10% of the church people. And the body of Christ, what if we partner together to do this? So is membership in a local church essential or can I just attend and the answer is starting to make sense. It depends, doesn't it? It depends on how you view your participation with Christ. Is Christ the center focus of your life? Or is attending church about you, your comfort, your participation, people liking you or praying for you? But when it shifts more and more to Christ as king and not me as king, the, par par the paradigm shifts of what a church is. Is being in the body of Christ something you accomplished or is it something that God has given grace to you to be part of? That changes this question. Because I know I'm not here because I earned it. I'm here because by the grace of God, you, you've delivered me. What can I do to you, for you? And depending on this answer, we join the local body. It's a pledge to mission. It's a mission. Again, I share this stat, but I'm going to share it over and over again. When they studied all these churches that closed, the number one characteristic trait, the members were turned inward. They were focused on not the community, but just their own happiness. And the church closed. But churches that focus outward, just with the prayer that we heard today from, from Elder Kari and Elder Marilyn, like, that's our prayer from our elders. God, let us not be about us. And so... We see this in 1 Corinthians 12 in today's reading, that this interwovenness is displayed. Verse 24, uh, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So much in this verse. First, God doesn't want any division in the church. There's no cliques, there's no superiority, there's no power groups, there's no inferior groups. There's no division. We're one body. And that the members care for one another in the same way. And God 
gives greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And so I was like, what does that mean? And it's kind of similar to the human body. Um, I said this to the youth group on Friday, but how many of you have seen a nail salon? How many of you have ever seen a nail salon? Yes, thank you. How many of you have ever seen a hair salon? How many of you have ever seen like a kidney salon? Or a liver salon? Or a heart salon? And the point of that is kind of funny because this is true. I could live without my hair and God's leading me that direction, I could tell. But I can't live without my heart. But in this society, we have billion dollar industries on how to make your hair look great but not on how do you make your heart healthier. Well, kind of do with the Peloton, and so if you look at it that way. But we spend a lot of time and focus on our hair and nails, but there's not a lot explicitly, blatantly about, hey, your liver, other than the gyms, I get that part. But what, Paul, what Paul's point is, even the littlest parts, we pay attention to it, and God does the same, so that there's no division, that there's this unity, and that we all care for one another. God put it together, and that's the gospel. The gospel is not, boy, what a righteous man that lady is. She is truly loved by God. What a bum this guy is. What's he doing here? The gospel doesn't do that in the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, all of you were sinners. And your worth and value are immeasurable because Jesus Christ says, I have made it so. Because I call you my own. And the gospel equalizes us. There is no superiority or inferiority. There is, there, is no, there is no sense of like hostility towards one another because in Jesus, we find our worth. And so verse 26, uh, Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. This is a good indication that the church is a body. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are not competing against one another, friends. We are leaning on each other. And so one of the reasons why we need to be a member together is, will you covenant to share in my pain and in my joy as we live together, grow together, study God's word, and move to commit to Christ's mission together? Um, and this is a whole topic for another reason, but the whole idea of like cohabitating Non-Christian sociologists say, not just Christians, that it does not do a long-term good in relationships because there's no devotion. You could bail out at any time. Whereas marriage, you bind them, you, you gruel with them, and you're willing to endure and overcome with them. And in churches, being a member allows us to say, not just have a membership administrative place, but, hey, I'm committing myself to you to the very end. Because Christ has bound us together. So that is the answer of will, you know, will, will we need to be members or can I just participate? I think Paul is saying, and God is leading us to, let's be devoted members. Second question. Churches today are so messy. How can the church get along with all the diversity, imperfection, and flaws of its members? Um, in our church, I'm just going to be honest. When our church was mostly senior citizens and elderly, I have to say it was actually a lot easier. Because the type of food, the type of music, you didn't have to guess. You know? Like, yeah, people, I'm getting some hallelujahs and amens back there. As a church gets diverse, I will never, I will strive to not be 
a people pleaser, and that kind of leadership always fails. But you do have to weave and guide. I, I don't know how Moses did it. I don't know. And I don't know how our session is going to continue doing it. They're the leadership. But it's hard. And so how do we have a not messy church with all this diversity of age groups and cultures? How? In fact, the answer is given in today's text. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, help, administration, and various kinds of tongue. Are all apostles? Are all prophets or all teachers do all work miracles? Now listen to this. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongue? Do all interpret? Verse 31. Can we read this together? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Simply, you could have all the spiritual gifts that just blow people's mind. He says, it doesn't matter. In keeping you united. In fact, Corinthians, you're divided because you're so comparing one another with your gifts. Let me show you a more excellent way. Do you know what chapter comes after 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> and what does he say in 1 Corinthians 13? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I could be the best choir in America. But if I don't have love for God and for one my people, it doesn't matter. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, you're generous. Well, you give a lot of donations. You, you do so much philanthropic work. Great. And if I deliver of my body to be burned, but have not love genuinely, genuine love, not just displays of actions that looks like oh he looks loving but you really don't really care it just i don't know you're doing some some something to look good i gain nothing so paul is saying listen here's what matters your gifts don't matter what keeps us together in the body when it's messy is it sounds so simplistic but what paul is saying it's love and some of you are like well i know that pastor jason of course love but love overcomes a division in a divisive body by doing this. Love overcomes superiority complexes because genuine love will humble you. Is that not true? If you think you're a hot shot, but you genuinely love people, it humbles you. Love overcomes self-centeredness because if you're focused on yourself all the time, but you genuinely have true love, God becomes a center and other people become the center. You're not happy because you are self-centered. But genuinely loving people who aim to serve one another, they find happiness. Love overcomes inferiority complex. Those of you who say, I'm nothing, I stink, I have nothing to give, I'm worthless. Love overcomes that, you know why? Because you understand God's love for you was unconditional and he calls you worthy. Love is in the Christ DNA and in the body of Christ. And so love is not just simply a sentiment. It is an actual sacrifice. Uh, in the society right now, I'm going to get a little bit edgy here. Not edgy, but a little bit touchy. There's this phrase, love is love. Love is love. It's like, hey, everyone, we should just love and honor everybody. The problem with that is not that it's championing love in the wrong way. I think it's not pushing it far enough. Because here's what 
the Bible defines love. God is love. And the love that God displays is this. True love makes oneself vulnerable. True love surrenders control, not claims it, not fights for it, but genuine love is quiet like a sheep led to slaughter. True love brings back the reality check that one person who's intoxicated with himself or herself, it just brings back us back to our senses. And true love makes it impossible for us to settle for the status quo. So forget love is love. I want to say God is love. And when we look at the God who gave himself for us to die on the cross, gave up control and his authority so that sinners could be redeemed, that's the type of love that churches will fuse together and have unity. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? How does a church with messiness get together? The love of Jesus Christ displayed on the cross dying to oneself and living for God. So are you second? No, not yet. And others. So we are third. So we should have bumper stickers that not only say he is greater than I or I I am second. We should say I am third. God comes first. And I will lift up my neighbors and their interests. This is what Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3, 4, and 5. And let me live in that zone. So, in conclusion of all this, is this. We are not a building. Church is a community. Even Acts chapter 7, Paul talks about church. God doesn't live in a house built by human hands. You know why? Because he lives in us. We embody Christ. Is God in Alaska? Absolutely. Is God in the aboriginal tribes? He's already there. We just have to join him. But the church is not a building. And if we are the church... That's the proof that God's good news is in work because we are messy. And how are we getting along? By his grace. And how do we hold together? In his love. And love is not a sentiment. It is a selflessness that lifts up others first. And it's even costly. But with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, love doesn't really cost that much at all, really, does it? Because we realize what a joy it is to love you as you love me, Lord. This is the body that Jesus Christ died for, created, and holds together. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we offer to you ourselves. We even pray now these words that we are the church. Not by our accomplishments, but by your mercy. Take us. And you didn't receive us because we were so gifted and talented. But you received us because you loved us. And you equip us for whatever we'll need. And so trusting in that, Lord, guide us. May this CPCLM be one of many churches, the universal church around the world, that embodies and expresses and shows the world that by our love, the world will know that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Amen.